Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, July 21st, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, what's great about SeatGeek is the price you see is the price you get. Most sites will try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees, but not SeatGeek. So make sure you download the free SeatGeek app right now and get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code PICARD. That's right, my own personal promo code. It is my last name, and it's pretty easy to use. And really, if you download the SeatGeek app right now, uh, it's pretty easy to get a game, look at a venue, a city, a sporting event, a concert. You know you're going to find something on there that you like. And you get $20 off by just plugging in my last name. Also, if you do see an event that you like, you can set an alert. And what SeatGeek will do is they will keep you updated and let you know when ticket prices fall so you can get the best deal possible. Even better, every ticket is given a grade and you can use their detailed map to see the exact view from your seat. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert. And it should be the first place you go as well, SeatGeek. And if you're in the Boston area and you're looking to go to Fenway this weekend, you're going to see an awful lot of offense. All right, you're going to see a lot of offense because the Minnesota Twins are in town. The Twins are no good. If you look at the standings right now, the Twins are in last place in the AL Central. They only have 35 wins. And here we are now on July 21st. A 35-59 and record for the Twins. They are 21 games out of first place in their division. The Red Sox should be able to take advantage of that and really just take care of business, especially since it's at home. So, you want to see offense? You want to see the Red Sox win? This weekend, beginning tonight, this series, this Thursday night at Fenway, Stephen Wright on the mound tonight. Then you'll have Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound tomorrow, Friday night. Saturday night at 7 o'clock, David Price is on the hill. And then Rick Porcello on Sunday afternoon. This is a four-game series. The Red Sox, I mean, they should sweep, but at least three of four. We'll say that. The Red Sox should at least win three out of the four games in this series. So if you are looking for tickets, the best deal is on the SeatGeek app. Use my promo code, PICARD, to get $20 off. But what I'm going to do today is look back at last night because what a night, what a game we had at Fenway. The Red Sox sweep the San Francisco Giants. They win both games in this two-game series. Can you even call it a sweep if it's only a two-game series? I mean, technically it is because you win both. But a sweep, I feel like it has to at least be a three-game series. Either way, the Red Sox won both games. They won the first game uh, two nights ago, four to nothing. You had home runs from Brock Holt and David Ortiz. And last night, you had the debut in a Red Sox uniform of Drew Pomeranz. Pomeranz began the game looking very good. Much like everything I told you about him, big kid, left-handed pitcher, has sort of an awkward... I want to say maybe awkward and deceiving release point. Maybe that's it. A de- a, a, really, it's deceiving. His wind-up and his delivery is somewhat deceiving, and he's so big and, and tall on top of it that 
I don't know that he has to throw 95, 96 to be successful. In fact, he doesn't. You see this year, he is an all-star. But this is his breakout season. And I've been skeptical to sit here and tell you that Pomeranz is somebody that is going to dominate because I, I just don't know. There's just not a large enough sample size for me to tell you that this kid is going to be the short thing. I know he's had a good first half of the season. He's an all-star, but still, I need to see more of it. Last night, the first three innings of this game, he pitched very well. All right, pitched very well. And he throws 90 to 92, but he had pinpoint control, especially with his breaking stuff. And uh, he did a nice job the first three innings. And then the Red Sox just exploded in the third of their own, in the second and the third. They scored eight runs in the second and the third. Red Sox had an 8 to nothing lead. So you got an 8 nothing lead. Pomeranz is pitching very well, looking very good. You're feeling comfortable. You're saying 8 nothing with the way Pomeranz is pitching, even if he has a couple bad pitches. I mean, the Red Sox have this one. This one is in the books, right? Right? It's over. That, that's the way I felt about this game. And then you go to the top of the fourth inning, and Pomeranz gets knocked around. Gets absolutely knocked around. Uh, he lets up a three-run home run to Williamson. That's, then he lets up a two-run home run. All of a sudden, it's 8-5. to five, And then another run scores, and it's 8-6, and you got a ball game. Um, but Pomeranz just did not make it out of the fourth inning, and he got knocked around. And I think at that point... That was a result of him not locating. And if you don't have overpowering stuff and you're leaving pitches up, out, and over the plate, you're going to get knocked around, especially with this Giants team, a Giants team that has 57 wins on the season. Pomeranz, 90 to 92 mile per hour fastball. Uh, if you're leaving that thing out and over the plate, you're going to get hit in this league. And... Uh, he got hit last night in that fourth inning, and he didn't make it out of it. And it's a disappointing, it's a disappointing finish to what was a very promising start in the first in, first three innings for a kid that you just gave up a top prospect pitcher to acquire. And I know what we're gonna do now in this town is we're gonna knock them, we're gonna knock them. Pro- well, I, I say we, and I don't know that I should put myself in that, so maybe I shouldn't say we. I'll just say people. They're gonna knock Dombrowski for making this move, trading Anderson Espinosa. Uh, one of the organization's top prospects. You could consider him one of baseball's top prospects. He's a pitcher, 18-year-old kid. I'm not, I never told you that he was untouchable, but I always felt like if you were going to trade someone like that, which I'm open to, you should package him in a deal for the blockbuster to get the short thing. And Pomeranz is not the short thing, and I think you saw some of that last night in that fourth inning. But when you see that, and even though the Red Sox end up winning the game 11-7, to okay? They win the game 11-7. to You get a huge night from Hanley Ramirez. He goes 3-for-4, three, three runs scored, 6 RBI, hits 3 home runs, got hit by a pitch, I thought there was going to be a brawl, and then he made Suarez pay by homering off him the very next at-bat and the next, next time he saw him. And on top of the offense from Hanley, and I'll get back to Hanley in a minute, but on top of it, he made a great defensive play and turned a double play that... I don't even know, like, I don't know. I I think he thought that might have still been a force out at home. Either way, he made the play. It was the right play to make. He made it. He executed. Leon got the tag down. I think that's the biggest double play this Red Sox have had this season. It might turn out to be the biggest double play of this season. Honestly, 
we'll get back to that. We'll get back to Hanley's efforts at the plate and in the field. But because of those things, the Red Sox end up winning this game 11-7. to Even though they win, people are going to look at Pomeranz's start, or at least just the fourth inning, and say, it's no good, and they're going to knock him, and they're going to crush him. I don't know that I'm going to sit here and crush him today, because what we are now looking forward, at least what I'm looking forward to, is exactly what has concerned me and what concerns me about kids who come, and I know he's 27 years old, so do you, call, do you call him a kid? Well, I'll call him a kid. Kids who come from playing in Colorado and then Oakland and then San Diego, and they have some success there. And there's not a large sample size of success, but it's enough where you are an all-star this year and you're a pitcher that other Teams who need pitching are going to look at and try to acquire. And the Red Sox were that team that acquired Pomerantz. But what I have been telling you since the day that trade was made, I am curious to see how Pomerantz reacts to when the going gets tough in this town and the pressure that is then put on you in this town, the type of pressure that he has yet to see in his major league career, maybe at all in his career, at any level. He definitely didn't see it in Colorado. He definitely didn't see it in Oakland. And he certainly didn't see it in San Diego. When you have a bad start or a couple bad starts in a place like San Diego or Oakland, it is a whole lot easier to turn things around and keep your head on straight in those places. Because there are not a million people all over you, all right? There are not multiple radio stations and multiple TV stations and all these newspapers and all these outlets in which people begin to crush you and question you and tell you you can't do it and tell you that this is a bad trade for the team that traded for you. Drew Pomeranz, in the next couple days, is not going to be able to escape the criticism that is going to come his way because of this fifth inning, excuse me, this fourth inning last night against the Giants, even though the Red Sox won. That's just the way that we function in this town. I think, I, look, I think it's a great way to function because that just means we're passionate. That means we want this team to win. And that also means we're thinking big picture. And big picture is if you're going to go out and trade for a starting pitcher, which the Red Sox needed and, and still need, even before I saw what I saw last night, I've told you that, they still need another pitcher. Um, you know, we look at that and we think ahead. We think... You made this trade because you needed pitching because you want to get to the postseason, but you also want to win in the postseason. So you win the game last night, but your starting pitcher that you just traded for had a very tough inning. And it's just, it's the way the inning went. It's the fact that you had an 8 nothing lead and you almost blew it. And it's the fact that I think we can all see why you struggled in that fourth inning because you're going back around into the lineup, but also... You just don't have overpowering stuff. And I think in this day and age of Major League Baseball, if you want to be a top-of-the-rotation starter, you need to have some type of overpowering fastball. I believe that. Now, there are guys that can get away with it. There are guys that can be successful with it. We've seen it in the past, and I'm sure we'll see it in the future. But if you don't have overpowering stuff, and you're not locating, and you lose your command like Pomeranz did in that fourth inning last night, you're going to get knocked around in this league. That's not necessarily my concern because we know, we knew what his fastball was, all right? And I could have told you going into that start, 
if he loses command at any point in any game the rest of the year, because he doesn't have an overpowering fastball, he's going to struggle during those moments in those games. I, I could have told you that. What I can't tell you, and I couldn't tell you, but I told you, I was curious to find out, is how will he react when, no, when he does have a moment like that where he loses command and can't get out and gets knocked around the park a little bit and struggles? How is he going to react to the criticism in this town? Is he going to be able to put it behind him? Is he going to be able to sort of block out all the noise and all the people that are saying this was a bad trade and all the criticism? He deserves criticism. That was a pathetic fourth inning from someone who looked like he was pitching as good as you could even ask in the first three innings, right? That was an awful fourth inning. I'm not letting him off the hook, but I want to know how he recovers from this. I want to know how he bounces back because that is going to speak volumes to me. We know what's in the toolbox. We know what he's got. We know what type of pitches he throws. We know what, the, what his physical capabilities are. I need to get inside this kid's head because there have been way too many pitches who have all the talent in the world that step foot in this town that, that can't get it done because what's going on between the years is a whole lot of thinking because they can't handle the pressure that comes with playing in Boston. I don't know if Pomeranz can do that or not. So I think the biggest thing with Pomeranz and trying to evaluate this trade whether it was good or bad, or whether it turns out or works out for the Red Sox moving forward, I need to see what he does in his next start, in his next two starts. I need to see how he recovers from this because there is no way he can escape the criticism that's coming his way today because he's receiving it, all right? He's been receiving it, and, and I mean, I'm giving it to him. That's a pathetic fourth inning. You cannot let your team give you an 8 nothing lead, all right? Hanley Ramirez, home run. In the second inning, Hanley Ramirez, another home run. In the third inning, 5 nothing. That should be all you need right there. It should. You get a Sandy Leone triple scores a run, 6 nothing. Brock Holt, RBI double, 7 nothing. Mookie Betts, RBI double, 8 nothing. You're sitting there going, Pomeranz looks good. He should be even more comfortable. I don't give a fuck about how much time he spent sitting in the dugout. Please. Please. Go out and, you know what? If you're going to let up a couple runs, if you're going to let up a three-run home run to Williamson, 8-3, fine. But don't continue to get knocked around. Figure it out. He seemed rattled. And, you know, you add a couple bunts onto it, and it's just like in his head. Well, how's he going to bounce back? Can he bounce back? Will he bounce back? It's now wait and see mode. And his next start, his next two starts, that is... That's where I'll be able to judge Pomeranz. I don't know that I'm overall going to be able to judge him and what he's going to be the rest of the season based on what we saw in that one inning last night. I need to see how he recovers from this, if he can recover from it. So that's what I'm curious. I'm curious to know what's in this kid's head, and we'll find out. We'll find out in his next start or two. That is for sure, but look at it this way. The Red Sox won last night, and they did have some positive things. And those positive things were Hanley Ramirez, he hits the home runs, and then you get... You know, you're even, you got Kane. Matt Kane, he tried to come up and in on him. And Hanley didn't really like it. Didn't hit him. Didn't like it. Shouldn't like it. It was on purpose, trying to come inside. I don't have a problem with pitchers coming inside. I wish it would happen more. He didn't go for the head. He came in. 
You know, brushed him back a little bit. Hanley felt a little too comfortable. I have no problem with it. If the shoe was on the other foot, I'd want my starting pitcher to do that. In fact, I almost, I think I asked David Price to do that more than he actually does. He doesn't do it at all. Brush someone back. You got a team feeling a little too comfortable? What's it going to hurt? Right? Worst case scenario, you get a warning. Well, both teams got a warning last night because after that, Hanley steps up again and the reliever Suarez, he throws at Hanley and he actually hits him in the elbow, hits him in the arm. And it was clearly on purpose, right? It was clearly on purpose. And Hanley knew it and Hanley didn't like it. And he walks up the first baseline and he's looking out at him. And I think he said, see, I thought he said something about his mother, but on the broadcast, they said that he was saying, I'll get you back. I'm going to get you back. I, I don't know. I tried to watch it a couple times. And each time, I see it a different way. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I wanted him to say that. Like, I feel like if I got hit in that spot, I'd be running up. I'd be walking up the baseline looking out going, yeah, your mother. Like, I'd be saying something stupid like that. Be, I'd be so pissed off and so fired up. Like, I'd say something stupid. I, I just thought he was so fired up. I, I thought that's what was coming out of his mouth. They were saying he was saying, I'm going to get you back. Well, if that's in fact what he was saying, Hanley got him back because he homed off him. Now, I thought Hanley was going to pimp that thing a whole lot more than he did. He carried the bat, I think, a little bit more than halfway up the first baseline. But that thing was a laser beam to left field down the line, just a rocket off of the first row of the monster seats, his third home run of the game. And it was a two-run home run in the sixth. Gave the Red Sox a 10-7 lead after the Giants had cut the lead to 8-7. It separated them from the game. You know, you got a Sandy Leone home run in the seventh. But Hanley Ramirez, three home runs. And just the attitude that he showed. And you know what's crazy about last night with Hanley? And, and I don't ever do this. I never. In fact, I crush people when they do this. What is this? This is... When, when people compare Hanley Ramirez to Manny Ramirez, I absolutely despise it. Okay? I despise it. I hate it. It's stupid. Um, I, I, I always tell you that. I don't think that we should ever compare the two when it comes to production because that's what people like to do because the production doesn't even come close. Manny Ramirez is one of the best right-handed hitters to ever play the game. Hanley Ramirez is not that. However, they have certain things that they do. The follow-through on the swing has always been the most similar thing to me. Like their follow-through and the way they hold that left hand up after a hit, whether it be a double to the to right center the other way or a home run to left field, they hold that bat up there and sort of watch it go. Um, last night, Hanley's first home run, it was into the Red Sox bullpen, right? Yeah, to right center, he ripped it. Two-run home run. He held that bat up there. He looked exactly like Manny Ramirez. And there were a couple other hits. Uh, he home home at the center. Home run to center. That looked like Manny Ramirez. If there was, I don't ever like to do this, but that was one moment last night where if people wanted to say, wow, he looked like Manny last night, I would actually nod my head in approval and say, okay, if there's, a, if there's one time you're going to use it, this would be the time. Because he did. You got that feeling last night. And it was an awesome feeling. You wish you could have that feeling about him all the time. You don't, because at the end of the day, we have to realize he's not Manny Ramirez, and nobody is ever going to be Manny Ramirez again. It's just he does certain things and acts a certain way that kind of remind us of Manny. Hanley is not Manny. He never will be. He never has been. He never will be. 
He isn't. But last night in that game, you got you got kind of a glimpse. You're going, wow, this feels like that's Manny Ramirez. I wish we could say that more. We can't and we won't, but I wish we could. Huge night for Hanley, even on even just in the field. That sixth inning, right? It's a it's a one-run game. You lead only 8-7. You had an 8-0 lead. It looked like Pomeranz when he had that bad fourth. The wheels were just falling off. You bring in Matt Bonds in the sixth inning in a one-run game. Okay? Looked like the wheels have fallen off. You bring in Bonds. He relieves Tommy Lane. Lane loaded the bases with no outs. A single, a single, and a walk. Bases loaded, no outs. Top of the sixth. You have a one-run lead at home. When you, when you led 8 nothing, now you only lead 8-7. And I've told you about Matt Bonds. I told you to keep an eye on him because they were giving him reps consistently. Just, it just began right before the All-Star break. They were giving him reps in that eighth inning. And they were even at times going out of their way to make sure he got in that eighth inning. And, and I looked at that and I said, well, they're asking for somebody within the organization to take a position and take a role in the back end of this bullpen with all these injuries and run with it. And Matt Bonds, well, he's the first guy they're looking at because he throws 97-98. He throws smoke, and he's got a nice little slide-up breaking ball that if he can somehow, you know, get the balls to, to, to throw that pitch in a big spot and, 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 you know, execute that pitch, okay? Make that thing look like it's coming down the middle of the plate and just sort of slide away last minute to right-handed hitters. You know, you got the balls to throw that pitch and the conviction to know that you're not going to hang that thing and you're going to get a swing and miss to go along with a 97, 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Man, Matt Bonds can be such a dangerous piece. Can he? And I told you to keep an eye on him because they were giving him that look in the eighth. And with all the injuries, they need someone like that within the organization. Like, it's easy for us to keep sitting there saying, go trade for this, go trade for that. Um, it's easy for us to say. I get it. And while I still think they have the pieces within the organization, the prospects to be able to go out and get a top of the ro- another top-of-the-rotation starter, right? I, I, I just, how many more trades do you want them to make? They went out and got Ziggler. They got a couple utility guys. They went out and got Ziggler. And they went out and got Pomeranz. I mean, how many trades do you want them to make? I think they can make one more. Can they make two? I don't know. In a, in a perfect world, somebody in your organization steps up to the plate and takes over a role to the point where they feel comfortable and confident going to you consistently. Matt Bonds, I think, is on the top of their list. Give us something, kid. You have great stuff. We need you. And I've always told you about bullpens when it comes to replacing guys. You can do that from within the organization. That happens a lot. And there's no reason why it can't happen here. Especially when you've got the guy, like, like you have someone like Matt Bonds, who has what he has in his repertoire, he should be able to. Well, you bring him in last night in the sixth inning. Bases loaded, no outs. Do you get a bigger spot than this? Gets a ground ball to first base. Hanley Ramirez steps on first, gets the out, throws home. Wasn't a great throw. Sandy Leone takes it. Gets the tag down. It's reviewed, but you knew right away if you saw it, that's an out. That's a double play. Next thing you know, there's two outs, bases loaded, and you get a foul out to first base. You get out of the inning. That's, that is such a huge inning to get out of, and you get out unscathed, right? 
No run score. You still have an 8-7 lead. Bases loaded. Nobody out. Matt Pond's on the mound. And he gets Hanley Ramirez to make a heads-up play. And I, look, I'm not going to sit here and knock him, but I still don't know that Hanley... Like, I still think Hanley thought that was going to be a force-out at home. I, I do. I still think he thought it was. It wasn't once he steps on first. Uh, because And, you know, the throw wasn't great. But Leon caught it, came around quickly, made a nice tag, and I'm telling you right now, that's the biggest double play so far this season. And I said it last night at the time. It might even be, it might even turn out to be the biggest double play of the season when we look back on it. Huge. You get out of that inning, you still have an 8-7 lead, and after that, Matt Bonds, top of the seventh, lets up a single, gets two outs, lets up another single, then gets a strikeout swinging, and it's just a nut. That's a, that was a ballsy slider, right, that he threw. Um, top of the eighth, he gets a strikeout, a ground out, and a fly out, and then ninth, you bring in Ziggler. I mean, Matt Bonds last night was phenomenal. I told you to keep an eye out for him, and that performance that you saw from him gets the win, but the win doesn't matter. Three innings, allowed two hits, had two strikeouts, didn't allow one run, didn't allow any runs, 46 pitches. Matt Bonds, to me, right now, with Kimbrell out, with Koji out a month, with Tazawa still out, we could see him back this weekend, though. Uh, Carson Smith is not coming back. With all these bullpen injuries, I know they're talking about Joe Kelly's doing stuff in the minor leagues, but, I mean, who knows? It's the minor leagues. I'm looking at the, the – until he comes up to the major leagues and gives me something consistently to be happy about, then I'll talk about Joe Kelly. We got a kid right now in the bullpen who throws just as hot as Joe Kelly, if not hotter, who is pitching his balls off and has basically, in my opinion, he's taken over the eighth inning role. I mean, if he hasn't turned himself into a guy that we feel comfortable with in the ninth for the foreseeable future with Koji out. Like, honestly, right? I think we're to the point where you have to ask the question, does Matt Bonds become the closer of this team? Does he? And are you asking for someone like maybe Robbie Ross Jr. to give you a little bit more? Um, someone like Hembry to give you a little bit more? Tazawa coming back, give you a little bit more? Ziggler with that deceiving wind-up in Submarine to give you a little bit more? Get to Bonds. I mean, look, I think Bonds has earned a very important role in this bullpen. And it's great to see. It's great to see someone from within the organization step up to the plate, put their work boots on, and pitch with some balls in the back end of that bullpen with a lot of injuries. Matt Bonds is doing that. So you got a couple. As much as the Pomeranz fourth inning was, was devastating and pathetic, and he should be criticized for it, the Red Sox win because Hanley steps up, not just at the plate, in the field, but also because Matt Bonds pitched like a bad man last night. He did. And um, that's as good as you get in a big spot, in a huge game. So, Matt Bond's earning his stripes. I tell you that. That's what's going on with him. And that's what's going on with the Red Sox. And because Baltimore lost last night, the Red Sox entered today in sole possession of first place in the AL East with 53 wins, a 53-39 and record. They entered the day a half game ahead of Baltimore, one game ahead of Toronto, six games ahead of the Yankees, and 17 games ahead of the Rays. Now, as I record this podcast, Baltimore and the Yankees are currently underway in afternoon baseball. So I can't, I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is the Red Sox are playing tonight. They have Stephen Wright on the mound against Minnesota righty Tyler Duffy. Tyler Duffy has a 3-0 record in his last four starts with a 3.10 ERA. 
Uh, the Twins have won the last five games that Duffy has started. So, this maybe will be a tougher game than we expect going in for the Red Sox offense. But co- but I say that just looking at those numbers. Then you take a step back and go, well, the Red Sox offense, they should be able to, to, to score some runs on Tyler Duffy at home. Stephen Wright. On the mound, he's got some very nice weather. It's very hot here today, tonight in Boston. Uh, so we'll we'll see what it is at first pitch, 7-10. But the Red Sox begin a four-game series against the Minnesota Twins team that is terrible. And the Red Sox should at least win three or four, if not a sweep at home over the Twins. So that's what you got with the Red Sox right now. Uh, I, I'm going to... I'm not going to do any football because you know we got a lot of football coming up. Training camps begin next week. And before you know it, we'll be in a college football. Before you know it, we'll be in a preseason football. So we've already done some Deflategate and Patriots stuff earlier this week when I had Phil Perry in studio. Phil Perry covers the Patriots for Comcast Sportsnet New England. Go back and check that out. So I'll stick with baseball. We don't have really any big news in the NBA or the NHL. I I mean, from what I see, I, I don't see anything yet. Maybe there is something tonight. If there is, I'll talk about it tomorrow on Friday's podcast. But I'm going to close it out with the, this, well, this is basically the stupidest story you're going to see all summer. It is. It's the stupidest story. And I, I don't know if Rob Manfred is like just trying to, like, I don't know if he's going all NFL on us and just wants to be in the news, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know what this is, but here's the story. Here's the headline. Let me read the headline. I had, I had a click on the story because the headline was intriguing to me as to what this actually meant. The headline reads as follows on ESPN.com. It says, MLB looking at possible limits on the use of relief pitches. I say, well, what the fuck does that mean? So I click on the link. And, and here's what it is. It says, Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred acknowledged that MLB is looking at possibly limiting the use of relief pitches in games. Manfred was a guest Thursday on ESPN's Mike and Mike, where he was presented nine suggestions from fans for improving baseball. One suggestion was some sort of restriction on the use of relief pitching in an inning or a game. Now, before I read you the quote from Manfred, are there really people out there that are giving, like, are there really fans that sit there all day every day and think about ways to improve the game? That's what I think is the biggest problem in baseball. Not the game. Not not the game, right? The game isn't a problem to me. The problem is the people that always want to keep changing the fucking game. like. It's like you're looking for things to change just because you want to change. And this change that we're talking about, that apparently Major League Baseball is going to look into, to me would be the dumbest change I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, this is the stupidest story that you're going to see all summer, okay? I mean, other than Deflategate, of course. Deflategate is over, I guess. Here's what Manfred said. He said, I am in favor of something like that. We have spent a ton of time on this issue in the last few months. He continues, you know, the problem with relief pitches is that they're so good. I've got nothing against relief pitches, 
but they do two things to the game. The pitching changes themselves, slow the game down, and our relief pitches have become so dominant at the back end that they actually rub action out of the end of the game, the last few innings of the game. So relief pitches is a topic that is under active consideration. We're talking about that a lot internally, end quote. Let me fucking read this garbage. Like, I don't even know. Like, you read it. I've read this a million times, and I'm wait. every time I read it is because I'm waiting to read the part where he's thinking about limiting the use of relief pitches because they use too much and he's concerned about injury. Like, I'm waiting for that reasoning. Let me read his reasoning again. Why they're thinking about limiting the use of relief pitches. He says, the problem with relief pitches is that they're so good. I've got nothing against relief pitches, but they do two things to the game. One, the pitching changes themselves slow the game down. And two, our relief pitches have become so dominant at the back end that they actually rub action out of the end of the game the last few innings of the game. So relief pitches is a topic that is under active consideration. We're talking about that a lot internally. End quote. That is so stupid. So you're telling me you care about how long it takes for the relief pitcher to come in the game, and you don't like all all these pitching changes because you think it slows the game down. Well, one, it's part of the game, okay? And it always has been. Um, And actually, you've taken steps to already speed that process up, right? Right? Two... You're concerned about dominant relief pitching taken away from the offensive action and the action in general at the end of a game? Like, what about the people like myself who actually enjoy watching dominant pitching more than offenses putting up 10 runs a game? Like, what about us? I'm expecting when I read this story, I'm expecting Rob Manfred to say, you know what? Relief pitching is used. Some of these guys are used so much. You see all these injuries. We see all these Tommy John surgeries. I think we need to set maybe an innings limit on some of these guys. And and while I wouldn't agree with that, I wouldn't agree with that, but that would make more sense than the reasoning he's given. Like, this is the stupidest thing. This goes back to pitch clocks and the people who want them. And I will stress this until the day that I fucking die. All right? The people who want to see a big old clock behind the backstop and want to see a pitch clock implemented into the game, especially at the end of close games, where all the drama is, especially at the end of the season, when a game's on the line, in moments like last night, in the sixth inning, when bases are loaded, you make the pitch and change. No outs. 8-7 game. Matt Bonds comes in. You want a fucking pitch clock? Like... You don't want the Red Sox to be able to make a change there because you want to you limit the, the, the number of relief pitching changes that you make because it slows the game down? Like, it's so stupid. The people who want a pitch clock are the same people who will not be watching that game last night. They won't be watching. They will not watch. A pitch clock might get them into the game a little bit more at the beginning of the year. It's a long season. The people who cry and scream and complain about the time of the game and the length of a game, they're telling you that they are basically, they got their panties in a bunch, they're having a fit, and they're causing a commotion because 
when there is a change, they're now going to come and watch all season long. Bullshit. They're not going to watch. They're looking for something to change. They're looking for a reason to complain, and this would be one of them. And the fact that Major League Baseball is listening to this is pathetic. This is the game. You make pitching changes. There are strategies that go along with it. You'll warm a guy up. Is he ready? Is he not ready? That's drama to me. That to me, the people who love baseball that will continue to watch with no pitch clock, that's drama to me. I love that shit. Dominant pitching coming out of the pen, getting out of jams, big moments, pennant races in September, playoff games in October. You want a pitch clock in those spots? In the eighth and the ninth innings? That's what you want? No. I love the pitching duels. I love the drama that goes along with the mind game, right? I love it all. But Rob Manfred's coming out saying, no, no, that's not what we want. We want offense. We don't want pitching changes. We don't want all these relief pitches. We don't want all these stoppages in play. And we certainly don't want dominant pitching coming out of the pen. That is just, I mean, this is the stupidest story you're going to read all summer. This is baseball. And I'm okay with, you know, I'm okay with if you want to make some changes that improve the game, but don't make changes to completely change the game when the game's been the same for a long, long time. So stupid. I hope this goes away. And I hope the people that complain about the length of games go away too because you're fucking annoying, all right? And I, I, I know you will not be watching, all right? Beautiful Friday, Saturday night. How about a Tuesday? We'll go Tuesday night in J- July or August. Your team's out of the standings? Your team's out of a race? What, you're going to watch? Because you cried about a pitch clock? You're going to watch now? You're not going to watch. You're full of shit. Full of shit. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere. Podcasts are available. Google Play as well. The Google Play Music Store. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I'll be watching this Red Sox game tonight. Uh, Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to miss tonight. That's a lie. I just lied to you. I don't usually lie to you. In fact, I never lie to you. But this, I messed up. My schedule, I actually have to work tonight um, at the val- down the valet tonight. So I need that cash. You know what I mean? Need that cash. You get that cash. So down the valet tonight. I'm not on WEI again until Saturday. But still, I'll be paying attention to the game. And uh, I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast and any other pieces of news that happen. I will react to it. I'm here five days a week. Again, I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.